Well, this morning, I wanted to speak to men in general and fathers more specifically so. And I titled this, The Man of Pride versus The Man of Humility. Pride is a word our society has become very desensitized towards, I'm sure you have noticed. Pride is now the sin we call virtue. Pride is the darkness we now call light. Pride is now the evil we call good. It is the wickedness we call holy, or we demand is called holy. It is the acceptable blasphemy of our day. However, this is not the kind of pride we are to, uh, this is not the kind of pride you are inspired toward greatness by, not like the pride that you have, I'm so proud of my wife's cooking, or I'm proud that my children did great at school, I'm proud the bears um, won again. Uh, that's not the kind of pride we're talking about, the pride that, that inspires you to greatness. It's the kind of pride that C.S. Lewis was pointing to when he, when he said, and I quote, pride leads to every other vice. It is pride that leads to every other vice. It started in the heavenlies, in the heart of Lucifer. It was inserted or rose up in the heart of Eve to be like God. Pride is the, is the vice or is the sin that leads to every other vice. You might say, well, how is this so? I wanted to give you a few examples to show you how pride is the root of all evils. Let's start with envy. Envy is when somebody is resentful because of an advantage they see somebody else has over them. So the first thing is, that person doesn't want others to appear better than they are, so they become envious of what that person has, who that person is, the position that person stands in. Or, they feel like they are worthy to have what that person has achieved or stand in. So where does envy come from? Envy comes from and is birthed, rooted in pride. It's considered strife. Strife often comes from having a desire to be number one. Or strife comes from having the desire to always be right, to always be acknowledged by everyone as the best, a desire for power and authority. That's why there's such tremendous amount of strife, let's say, in D.C., because it's about power and it's about authority. So where does that strife come from? It's rooted in pride. Pride births that kind of thing in a person's life. It's, let's look at the sin of deceit. Deceit is usually our strategy when we want to illegitimately gain something for ourselves. We want to get something for ourselves, so we deceive another to get what we want. Deceit is usually our strategy when we want to hide something that might make us look bad, so we deceive a person, make, causing them to think we're greater than what we really are. So what births this deceit? Again, it's pride. From pride comes envy. From pride comes strife. From pride flows this 
need to be deceitful. Think about hypocrisy, the sin of hypocrisy. This is often when we do not want to be seen or known for who we or what we really are. Therefore, we become or play the hypocrite. The hypocrite is the one hiding behind a mask, desperately pretending to be something they are not. That's the hypocrite. Attempting to be seen greater than what they really are, to be seen as more noble than what they really are. Hello, Hollywood. More sincere, more everything than what they really are. That's hypocrisy. Well, where does this need to be such a hypocrite come from? Well, from pride. Slander is another sin. Let's see how slander is actually rooted and grounded and flows from the sin of pride. You see, slander is the person's strategy they employ when they want to look better than the one they are currently slandering. Now, think about it. In order to be exalted above a specific person, in order to be who you are and it being sufficient, no, they need to be better, and the way they can become better is by slandering the other person, making them seem lesser in the eyes of everybody else, right? So slander attempts to minimize those around you, so you are the one that is thought most highly of. So what drives this temptation to slander another person? Your pride. So let's talk about greed. <laughs> the list goes on and on. This will be the last one. Uh, greed comes from the desire to make more for oneself or more of oneself than God has planned for you to be or to have. So God has called you to a station in life. It's just never enough. I need more. I want more. I am more. I deserve more. Someone once said, <laughs> this is so funny, the reason so many people are going into debt today is because their neighbors keep buying things they themselves cannot afford. It's like, stop buying those nice cars, everybody. I can't afford it anymore. <laughs> I can't afford to keep living up to those Joneses. So why, why do we desire to keep up with the Joneses? Right. So whether it be envy, or whether it be strife, deceit, hypocrisy, the sin of slander or greed, all of these are rooted, grounded in the fountain called pride. It does, it's never satisfied. It just keeps bringing you to more and more vices, more and more vices, more and more vices. Pride is a foundational root that grows a tree so big you cannot be freed from all of the vices that flows from this big issue this one root called pride. So C.S. Lewis was right. Pride leads to every other vice. Now, while God absolutely abhors and detests pride, our society, on the other hand, of course, we know better, we celebrate pride like it's a virtue. You see, God hates pride, Proverbs 6.17. God resists the proud, James 4.6. God uses pride as poison, to turn compromised angels into hideous demons, Isaiah 14, 13. God warns that pride always comes before complete destruction. 
Proverbs 16, 18. So don't play with pride. It is not something that we ought to normalize around us or in our mind, in our thinking, or in our perspective. It is not normal. It is wicked. From it flows many sorrows. It comes before destruction. God does not smile on it. He resists it. It is one of the six things God abhors, detests, and hates is pride. Pride produces something in the person that has it. And it's almost like, like bad breath, right? The only one who doesn't know they have it is... The only one that doesn't know his breath is bad is the one who has it, right? <laughs> because it produces self-delusions of grandeur. It deludes a person's thinking, making him think that he's more than what he really is. It causes a person to think that they're bigger, that they're grander, that they're prettier, that they're more impressive than what they really are. While pride makes a person think that they are more than, bigger than, better than, the truth is pride really causes them to be less than, smaller than, worse than. I want to prove it to you. Pride is a thing that diminishes the person's ability to ever admit that they were wrong. So instead of being the greater person, by admitting their sins, their wrongs, because you can't come to the cross before admission of sin. Because the person that can't admit his sin, why would he come to the cross? Yeah, but if he doesn't realize he has anything to be forgiven for, he wouldn't come. That's why the gospel always starts with the knowledge of the law. The knowledge of the law is what causes a person to realize how guilty they are before God and when they realize how guilty they are before God, now they go, okay, I need a Savior. I need forgiveness. The gospel always starts with the knowledge of the law. But the proud individual, <clears throat> why would he admit to anything? Pride diminishes the person's ability to admit they have been wrong, they are sinful. Pride diminishes, make lesser than, smaller than, worse than, this person because it diminishes that person's ability to reconcile with a person that they offended. Why? Because why would a proud person ask forgiveness? They don't tend to, do they? They actually can't ask forgiveness. Even if they know they were wrong, they can't ask forgiveness because they can't humble themselves that way. They're too filled with pride. Pride makes the person less, smaller, and worse. Why? Because it diminishes a person's ability to submit to God. You've never seen a proudful person submit to God. It's the humble person that submits himself to God. So this is where the definition of pride comes in. Pride is not the person that's confident. That's what the world wants you to think a proudful person is. Pride is the person that says, God, you are not going to determine what is good and evil. I will tell you what is good and what is evil. God, you don't have a right to tell me that is an evil thing. I'll tell you what is evil and what is good. In other words, the proud person, just like Lucifer, is lifted up within himself to the place where he determines right from wrong, good from evil. 
Righteousness from unrighteousness. It is the humble person that confidently says, the Bible says this is wrong. Guess what? It's wrong. And the world says, it's not wrong. And you go like, yeah, it is. <laughs> How dare you be so judgmental? I'm not being judgmental. I'm telling you that the scripture says, objectively speaking, uh, that is evil. No, it's not. The whole world says it's good. Well, that's consensus of truth theory, right? It's like, let's see, how many of you want to vote on good and evil? And then when we have majority vote on this issue, we know that it's good. See, that's the consensus theory of truth. We, that is not how you discover truth. Truth is straight from the scriptures, and the humble person says, it is truth. Why? Because that's what God said, and I submit myself to His truth, not your feelings or perspectives or opinions. Amen? So that's what a humble person does. A humble person gives back to God the right to determine good and evil, right from wrong. He, he surrenders to God that position. The proudful person does the opposite thing. He doesn't surrender to God the position to determine right from wrong. He takes it for himself. And he says, I will be the judge of this. That's pride. So, you will actually find the opposite to be true. The humble person is the one who is the most confident person because he didn't determine right from wrong. He didn't put himself in the judge's seat. He doesn't make himself the lawmaker. He doesn't crown himself the lawmaker. That's why he can be the most confident person. He, the most humble person, is the most confident person because he is the one that will say, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm sorry, but no. Not bowing to that truth. Or not bowing to your truth. <laughs> I'm bowing to the truth. Because God said. Even if the whole world is against him, he still stands. It's the person filled with pride that can't stand when the world is against him. So how does pride diminish a person? How does pride make them less? How does pride make them smaller and worse? It diminishes their ability to admit they were wrong. It diminishes their ability to even ask for forgiveness. It diminishes their ability to submit to God. Pride prevents the wicked from coming to Christ. A proudful person cannot come to Christ. A fallen man cannot come to Christ because the fallen man is filled with pride. Let me show you in Psalm 110 verse 4. The Bible says... In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek God. He does not seek God. In the pride of his face, that wicked man so filled with pride does not seek God. All his thoughts are this. There is no God. They're consumed with the idea that there is no God. They just won't let it go. Let me be. I believe that there is a God. Let me be. There is no God. Let me be. I'm not. It's okay. You don't have to. It's okay. I pride. There can be no God. No. It's okay. You know why? Pride. I wanted to read it to you out of Psalm 10 verse 4. But this time, when I read it to you out of Psalm 10 verse 4 in the New Test, New NIV, I wanted you to think about this way. The wicked man's pride, not his intellect, his pride, 
causes him to reject Christ. Psalm 10.4 in the NIV, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. Can you see exactly why it is that some of the most brilliant people in academia are so godless? Why? Because it's not their intellect that causes them to reject God. It's their pride. They don't have, they don't need more knowledge of who God is or how the world works or the universe works. What they need is, pride, uh, is humility. This is why they can't come to Christ. They don't need to know more. They need to be more humble. You see, in America, has acted in pride, making no room for Bibles in schools, making no room for prayer in classroom, making no room for the Ten Commandments in public spaces and so forth. And this is what it says. In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. God may not be in this space where we are. However, the problem is that the fact that God has promised what happens when that becomes the truth about somebody. There are consequences to pride. The price is higher than what people realize. Because God has promised that wherever pride reigns, there will be a fall, there will be destruction, it will not work out. I'll prove it to you out of the scriptures. First, pride is what destroyed Lucifer. Isaiah 14, 13, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. Secondly, pride is what destroyed Eden. Eve believed that the snake promised her. She believed what he promised her. Genesis 3, 5, you will be like God. You will be just like God, knowing good from evil. Number three, pride is what destroyed Babylon. Genesis 11:4. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Pride is what dethroned Saul. 1 Samuel 15:17. The prophet Samuel comes to him and says to him, when you were little in your own eyes, Saul, that's when God made you king. But now, he's going to have to rip you from that throne. Pride destroyed Lucifer. Pride destroyed Eden. Pride is what destroyed Babylon. Pride is what destroyed and dethroned King Saul. Pride is what destroyed the Roman Empire. And pride is what will destroy the church. Because the church doesn't have, we fear no enemy on the outside. We don't fear the state. We don't fear because Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. We don't fear anything on the outside. The only thing that will bring the church down is what's on the inside. Compromise on the inside of the church is what cripples and crumbles the church itself. Is what makes the church an organization and no longer be the body of Christ. And pride starting the pulpits by choosing to rather speak words 
of affirmation that God doesn't give the people. <laughs> oh, you're saved, you're saved. We don't wait. We weren't told to affirm everybody. Everything's going to work out. Really? I've done too many funerals to believe that lie. When we start preaching only what we know works pragmatically in the seats, you know that that has to be because of pride. That's not because of humility. That's because of pride. Humility is, is the one that says, you know what, this is what the Bible says, and I know when I speak this, we will suddenly become half the size than what we, re than what we have been. Humility would do that would rather lose everything and stay submitted to the Word of God than gain much more and always duck and dive what the Word of God really says. Do you know that <clears throat> what a prophet is? Many of you are prophets. A prophet is somebody who speaks God's Word to God's people. That's a prophet. Not just God's people, but he's the one who speaks and declares the word of God. In the Old Testament, there was no Bible, right? So God spoke through prophets, through men, his word. Now we have his word. And now every single one of you who speak God's word stands in that exact same position. So for you to speak the very word of God is for you to prophesy, declare God's truth. Right? The proudful person cannot do it. He will only speak a word that makes others, other, the ears of the listeners tickle. You'll be tickling ears. The prophet is the one who will speak the word of God at his own expense. Oh, how you killed the prophets. <laughs> to be a prophet of God only happens when you choose to be humble. The proud person is not a prophet of God. He's a lover of self. <clears throat> And as we can see throughout, throughout time, throughout history, and throughout scriptures, it, it was pride that brought everything to ruin. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to consider just a few thoughts regarding the man of pride as opposed to the man of humility. The man of pride as opposed to the man of humility. The first is that the man of humility receives God's grace. He receives grace from God while the man of pride finds resistance from God only. God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Oh God, no, God's arms are open. No, he's not. He resists the proud. His arms are open, and his grace is given to the humble. 
So the man of humility receives God's grace, while the man of pride resists, receives resistance from God only. And then you go, well, I know that this person is proudful because, you know, how they relate to the Word of God. They will not agree with the Word of God. They will not submit to the Word of God. They will not ascribe to what God says is right and wrong, good and evil. They are the ones <clears throat> lawn to themselves. They're obviously very, very proudful, but, man, do they have a good heart. Man, is that a nice guy. Wow. That's just such a nice person. If ever you need help, that person right there, man, he's, he's just a really good guy. Unfortunately, he's rejected God's law. He's rejected God's standards. He, does, he, he comes up with his own standards and all of that. But he's got a heart of gold. <clears throat> Again, let me just tell you that the truth about that situation is this, that the man of humility receives grace from God. The man of pride finds resistance only. Everything this man does is a sin, no matter how much good it seems to be. Everything this person does is a sin before God. God resists him, everything about him, even his most noblest work. His greatest gift, God resists him. I'll show it to you that even his prayers are considered a sin before, him, before God because of his pride. In, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus is speaking and he says, And when you pray, you must not be like those hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why? So that they may be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward. These people who think, Oh, that, is, that guy has got such a good heart. Now, he doesn't obey the word, but man, he's just a good guy. Even that, God resists because of his pride. Because pride does not, does not start when you become good and, and kind and nice. Thank you. It's not when you become nice. That's not humble. Humble starts by how you respond to Scripture. Can you submit yourself there? Can you submit yourself there? That's where humble starts. Otherwise, if you can't do that, then obviously you are, you are the, your own lawmaker. <laughs> Therefore, really, behind all of that golden heart stuff, there stands pride. Behind all of the good things, there stands pride. I will not be conquered. I will not bow my knee. Number two. Number two. The prideful man fights for his own rights. While the humble man fights for what is right. The prideful man fights for his own rights. While the humble man fights for what is right. That is why you will see the strongest men throughout history also have been the most humble men. Why? They are selfless. That is why they're strong. They have goals much higher than themselves. That is why they have strength. 
Even if they're the only ones standing against the rest of the world, they continue to stand. Why? Because they're humble and unintimidated by the world. The proudful man is intimidated at all times because it's the proudful man that, like, all right, nobody takes my throne, nobody takes my position, nobody changed the way the world sees me. It's the humble man that goes, it doesn't matter who takes what. You can't take what I have, <laughs> right, being given to by God. It doesn't matter how the world perceives me. The Bible already told me they're going to hate me. It's okay. Right now, there might be a time where they kind of honor you, flatter you, but trust me. If we had to sit down and have a conversation, they'd run me out of town. <laughs> they'd run me out of their town for sure, <laughs> right? Are you okay with that? That's why the humble man is the strong man. Because he fears no one but God. And that is what I want to tell you today. I want to tell you today that God is calling men to humility. There is a divine call to humble men. To such a degree of humility that they have no concern for what the world may say or think of them. Because those are the men God will trust with His word. Those are the prophets of this day. Number three, prideful men demand you recognize their value. Oh, do they? <laughs> they demand you recognize their value, while humble men willingly display remorse over their lack of virtue. Two complete, total totally complete different worlds. The prideful man demand you recognize their value. While the humble man, he willingly displays remorse over his lack of virtue. It's the humble man God lifts up. It's the humble man God graces. It's the humble man God strengthens because that's what grace does. Number four, the humble husband. All right, you ready? <laughs> Dads, the humble husband and father fills the shoes God gave him to wear. He fills those shoes, no matter how unpopular it might make him in his own home. He fills those shoes. Let me just tell you, it is not natural. It is not natural. Watch this. It is unnatural. For the husband, the dad, to fill the shoes God gave him to wear as husband and as father and be celebrated for it from beginning to end. It's unnatural because the fall introduced the idea that where this man stands, his wife will desire that place. His wife will desire that place. It's not easy. There isn't a man in the history of humanity that filled his shoes and wasn't challenged over it. That filled his shoes and didn't become unpopular in his own home for filling his shoes. Now, when he remains filling his shoes, it always ends where God has 
purposed for it to end. You see, God has already preordained the outcome of that decision right there. God has preordained the outcome of many moral decisions. That's a moral decision. Let me, let me tell you why. The Bible says, He who walks with the wise shall... There's an outcome to that decision. And God fixed that outcome to that decision. You decide to walk with wise men. God fixed the outcome of that decision, and that is you will be wise. Children, honor your parents. This is the first command with a promise. And the promise is what? It'll go well with you. You will have long life. God fixed the outcome of your decision to be an honorable, honorable son or daughter. The Bible is filled with do this and this will happen. God fixed the outcome to your obedience. See? God also fixed the outcome to your disobedience. He said, but the companion of fools will be? Okay, so he fixed that outcome to the one who hangs with fools. Destruction. He says, pride comes before a fall. So he fixed the outcome to that action. And this is why, when it comes to God's sovereign law, sovereign will, there's nothing you can do to change the outcome of God's sovereign will. He has sovereignly decided when Jesus is coming back, and you ain't going to change that. He has sovereignly decided, according to Acts, and all those who were appointed unto eternal life, they believed. That was God's sovereign decision, sovereign outcome. But then God gives us... Beyond the sovereign will, he gave us the moral will, which is the book you're holding in your hand today. That is his moral will. That will can be broken, can be obeyed, can be disobeyed. And every, every, when you obey the moral will of God, there is a fixed outcome to that path. Whether good or bad. So the humble husband, the humble father, when he chooses to fill the shoes God has given him to wear, no matter how unpopular it might make him, he will stand faithful before God. He will stand faithful before God. He is more concerned about what God feels over his decisions or how God views his decisions than his family might view his decision. <laughs> Amen? So we see... <clears throat> we see that the man of humility receives grace from God, the man of pride, only resistance. The prideful man fights for his own rights, while the humble man fights for what is right. The prideful man demands you recognize his value, while the humble man willingly displays remorse over his lack of virtue. The humble father, the humble husband, fills his shoes God gave him to wear, no matter how unpopular he might be for a season but God's blessing will rest upon that. So today, fathers, men, there's an absolute call to humility. The world is calling men to pride. God is calling men to humility. That is not just a viewpoint. That is a wicked, sinful perspective. 
That is an overthrowing of God, sovereignty in your life, or an attempt at least, but no one can. Who can resist the hand of God? No. So there's a call to every male, every man, every husband, every father. Today, God calls you to humility. And you have to understand that humility is you giving back to God His right to determine good from evil. God, you have the right to tell me or give me the definition and the parameters of my role that I'm supposed to play here in this world. I cannot, as a pastor, act beyond my role God gave me in your life. I, cannot I may not control you. I may not manipulate you. I may not deceive you. I may not treat you unbiblically in any way. As a shepherd, God has given me a specific position. And humility says, God, what is that position you've called me to? It's these shoes. Okay, good. I'll wear them, Father. That's humility. And I'll wear them confidently. No matter what the world says. Now that's the same. For the husband, and that's the same for the father. Every father needs to ask, God, now that I have given you the right in my life to determine good from evil, purpose, destiny, what is it that you've called me to? Give me exactly, give me exactly, I'm trying to think of the word, the contour or the the lines <laughs> in which you have given me responsibility. And when I stand in there, God, I'm doing it in order to be faithful to you, not to be somebody who demands his own rights, but fulfills his own responsibilities before God.